And uh, what we're going to do for this class is a little bit different. We're going to be watching an animation uh, that depicts the atomic bombs. Um, warning, it is a bit graphic. So if it's something that you're not comfortable watching, you can um, look away. But this is what we're going to start the class off with. Um, so let me go ahead and play it. B Fixed on target. Release bomb. Roger. Releasing bomb.
All right, welcome comrades to the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Tonight is August 10th, 2023, and I wanna thank you all for being here. Our class tonight is gonna to be on the truth about the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's very important. We just had the 78th anniversary of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima on August 6th and Nagasaki yesterday on August 9th. Um, and what we're gonna to seek to do in this class is basically explain um, the actual truth behind these atomic bombings and sort of debunk the official uh, imperialist narrative about the atomic bombs um, ending the war being necessary or justified, uh, etc. All right, so we'll go ahead and get started. Give me just one second. So as we said, our class tonight is going to be on the truth about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And what we're going to be learning today is we're going to be learning about the events preceding the end of World War II and the agreed upon plans for the invasion of Japan, um, Operation Downfall, and what the Soviets agreed to at Tehran, Yalta, etc. Um, also about the incendiary bombing of Japanese cities prior to the atomic bombings to give some context on what we were already doing in Japan at that time. Uh, we're going to speak briefly about the Manhattan Project, an atomic scientist. Why was the atom bomb made? Um, kind of understand the dialectical reason behind that. Uh, the next thing would be the true nature the about the atomic bombings and why the justification of the dropping of the bombings or the dropping of the bombs was unjustified, the main thing that our class is covering. And then also about the result of the dropping of the atomic bombs, the way it changed the world, and relating the event to the current day with Western imperialists risking nuclear war with Russia and China. And I'll go ahead and start uh, for this section. I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, it's Operation Downfall and the Incendiary Bombings. So just to give us some historical context, understand how things led up to this point, uh, we'll cover kind of the a brief summarization of how the Pacific War developed. So the war in the Pacific truly started in 1931 with the launching of the Imperial Japanese Kwantung Army into the northeastern Chinese region of Manchuria, setting up Manchukuo as a puppet state. This was followed by a full-scale invasion of Chinese cities to the south in the July of 1937. Japan then invaded Indochina, which we know as Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, in September 1940, the northern part and for the southern part in July 1941. FDR then requested Japan withdraw from the region and two days later, the United States and United Kingdom declared an oil embargo against Japan. On December 7, 1941, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii in a surprise attack and 2,403 Hawaiians and American servicemen were killed. The US and Japan then declared war on each other which was followed by a declaration of war on the United States by Nazi Germany, allowing FDR the political justification to send US troops to Europe. And then just to talk about the Manhattan Project briefly, why was the atom bomb developed? Well, in the 1930s, British scientists split lithium atoms with protons and an era of nuclear science began. By 1938, with the discovery of neutrons earlier in the decade, scientists Otto Hahn and Fritz Straussmann, which were living in Nazi Germany at the time, Hitler came to power in 1933, so this was Nazi Germany, 
shocked the world by splitting a uranium atom with neutrons, creating fission of the nucleus of the atom, which could result in nuclear chain reaction. And I believe it was uh, Leo Zillard that found that out. And so politically, the world was beginning to see more and more the threat of Nazi fascism. And though the research was kicked off at different times in several different countries, many atomic scientists, of which many were Jewish, such as Albert Einstein, came to the United States and requested to FDR that nuclear weapons be developed to beat the Nazis in the race for a successful nuke, which the Nazis would have used indiscriminately. Nazis had been trying to develop nuclear weaponry, but gave up in 1942 to focus on V1 and V2 rocketry. That's the massive rockets that they could um, let loose off of planes and they would propel themselves over a target, um, kind of like the MOABs that we have today. Uh, but this wasn't known until 1944, and Nazis could have begun research at any point. Uh, however, the first U.S. bomb, Trinity, developed in part by American communists like J. Robert Oppenheimer, was tested successfully in July of 1945, just one month before the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And you can see uh, the bomb site as well as an animation of the actual explosion itself down here on the right as well as uh, Oppenheimer. So for the Pacific War, uh, for the next three and a half years after Pearl Harbor, Allied forces led mostly by the United States and China fought the Japanese military on island after island and helped liberate region after region, pushing the Japanese back to the islands of Japan itself by 1945. Over 4 million Allied service members died in the war, mostly Chinese, and over 26 million civilians of allied countries died in the war. Japan lost over 2.5 million servicemen and over 1 million Japanese civilians died. By 1945, Japan was losing on multiple fronts. By June 1945, they were being repelled from China, de defeated in Borneo after the last amphibious landings of World War II in July 1945, and defeated in the Ryukyu Islands after the Battle of Okinawa in June 1945, the bloodiest battle for the Americans against the Japanese in the entire war. By August 1945, with the loss of most territory in the South, losing the wars in China and Burma, and with the threat of an allied American-Soviet invasion of Japan itself, the Japanese leaders were preparing to surrender. Uh, now to talk about the Yalta Conference and Operation Downfall. Agreeing to an allied invasion of Japan. A conference was held in February 1945 and liberated Yalta, Crimea, uh, the same Crimea that's part of Russia today, of the three uh, big three main allied governments, the United States, United Kingdom, and United, or sorry, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. FDR was still alive at this time as well. At the conference, a, decor a declaration of liberated Europe was issued, unconditional surrender, denazification, war criminal trials, and a dismemberment of Germany were decided upon, and the USSR pledged, as it had in Tehran, uh, Iran, in November 1943, to invade Japan two to three months after the end of the war in Europe and work with the United States in the downfall of Japan. The United States had been planning downfall 
sometime before August 1945, the U.S. invasion of the Japan home islands. The U.S. would have likely committed over 1.2 million troops to the operation and would have likely invaded the southern Japanese island of Kyushu and uh, the Honshu region, uh, the Honshu island at the Kanto Plain south of the capital. General George Marshall argued for the invasion of Japan to end the war. You can see a map over on the side of Operation Downfall, where U.S. forces would have came in. Um, then a crucial part of this whole story uh, before the atomic bombings is the incendiary bombings of Japan. Japanese cities were already burning. But in, 19, or, or in March of 1945, under General Curtis LeMay, who was then called Demon LeMay by the Japanese for his genocidal bombings of Japan, the Japanese city of Tokyo was firebombed with 1,665 tons of incendiary weaponry, and 16 square miles of the city was destroyed, and over 80,000 people were killed. Nagoya and Osaka were also repeatedly targeted and incendiary bombings as well, killing over 10,000 more people. Kagoshima, Tachikawa, Shizuoka, Kawasaki. Saki, Hamamatsu, Iwakuni, Oshima, Toyama, Konan, and Amagasaki were all bombed as well. In total, 67 Japanese cities, big and small, with moderate to no military significance, were indiscriminately firebombed by the United States Army Air Force and were largely destroyed as part of as much as Jap uh, Japanese architecture was wood and bamboo. It had much the same effect as the atomic bombings, but it still not, did not bring surrender. Uh, 241,000 to 900 Japanese or 900,000 Japanese civilians died in the raids. Shifting intentions for Japan. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the man who had done so much to work with the Soviet Union and defeat fascism and establish peaceful coexistence between the United States and the Soviet Union after the war, was declining in health and struggling to make it through his fourth term and died in April 1945. Harry Truman became president in his wake, a much more anti-communist president. In July and August 1995, uh, the three big met again in Potsdam, Germany, and decided on further matters of Poland, Austria, Germany, and Italy. But the biggest declaration from the conference was the Potsdam Declaration, which ordered Japan to surrender unconditionally or face prompt and utter destruction. The atomic bombs were not mentioned in the document, but were mentioned privately by Truman to Stalin, who was not surprised by this news since he had been receiving information about the Manhattan Project and had already approved nuclear weapons development by the USSR. Four days after the end of the conference, the atomic bombings took place. Oh, and it looks like we have our first round of questions and comments. Yes, uh, what would that scene, what would that, uh, what uh, movie would that scene from that we saw earlier? That was a scene from an anime. I haven't watched it. It was uh, 
suggested by one of our comrades, Barefoot Jen, which had okay. a scene of the atomic bombings. And we wanted to have that in there just to kind well, of give an idea of how brutal it was. Okay, thanks. You're welcome, comrade. Uh, I mean, I, I have, uh, I mean, most of my readings about America are very limited. But uh, what I really find uh, extremely uh, uh, terrible, controversial, and, uh, uh, and disgusting is that the American expansion in the region or overseas, including the Hiroshima and Nagasaki, all the crimes against the people of Asia, they, uh, they are uh, done under religious uh, uh, slogans. Like the, the the name of the bomb Trinity itself refers to to the Jesus Christ, the attributes of Jesus Christ, you know, and uh, and aren't these people uh, totally uh, shameless in the eyes of history and in the eyes of humanity to to uh, call those missions and the religious in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Christianity, and I I find that very uh, awkward and disgusting um can i answer that the uh first bomb was um at a place called trinity it was one of the, one of the trinity atolls I'm not mistaken i think it was in the west pacific so it was not the name of the bomb in fact there was a name for the trinity bomb and i can't remember what it was but they did name that one too okay all right and i also just wanted to correct that uh trinity test site was in new mexico um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say that that animation was the most graphic thing I've ever seen on that bombing. Uh, it really should be shown to junior high school uh, and high school students. I think it really should be. That should be one of the pushes that we in the peace movement should be pushing. I think the American Peace Information Center would do a service if that was one of their projects, if that was their only project uh, coming up for the year to get that into the school system throughout the country. Thank you. Again, please let me, uh, I really want to let you know, um, you see those melting eyeballs? Um, yes. Uh, people, this is interesting. It was many of the military that um, looked straight at the bomb. And there was at least 20 men that were in a group and they, they all were blind. And um, basically it was all pus in the sockets. So that that is a real description of what has happened if you were looking straight at the bomb at the time. Thank you, Comrade. And I'll also just add, because it did make its way into this class. Another grotesque thing that happened was the bomb was so bright that basically it bleached a lot of the surfaces, a lot of the concrete. And when something was standing in front of it, uh, it blocked the light and basically emblazoned shadows on things that are still there to this day. Um, it literally etched shadows into the wall because of how powerful it was. Yeah, so the first thing is my grandfather was one of the first American soldiers to get to Japan after the bombing. And he'd been on a submarine and he, his crew had had no news or information about the bombing. When he first got there, he started crying and gagging because the smell of dead flesh and rotting meat was so strong. 
And then also I wanted to ask about, I know you called Oppenheimer a communist. Um, I know that he dated a Marxist at one point, and I know that he was often called a communist um, after World War II. I just want to know if there's any instances of him self-identifying as a Marxist. And thirdly, I know that there were um, the majority of high-ranking U.S. generals at the time thought that a Navy blockade would have made it unnecessary to launch a direct invasion, even without the bombing. So I just wanted to know what you know about that. Yeah, so I can't speak to the third uh, question. I only know about Operation Downfall. I've, I've not heard of a blockade of Japan. Um, but in terms of Oppenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer himself never joined the Communist Party. His brother did, and a lot of his affairs did. Um, but he himself never joined the Communist Party. What he did do, however, was he was a member of every, uh, basically what we would know as mass orgs, ever, a member of every mass org on the West Coast. He donated about half of his salary to the uh, Republican forces in the Spanish Civil War. Uh, he wanted to share the nuclear information with the Soviet Union without it even being any kind of, you know, supposed espionage. Um, and he did consider himself a communist at one point in time. When he started getting involved with the Manhattan Project, I think to be successful on that project, he distanced himself a little bit from saying that he was a communist. Uh, we might want to call him a fellow traveler, um, you know, at, at least a communist at most. But there's actually a scene in that new Oppenheimer movie that I want to bring up, too. It's kind of funny where like it, it, it's literally a joke that he what they ask him if he's a communist and he's like oh no i'm not a communist i'm an fdr uh, uh new deal liberal and a lot of people at that time would go ahead and use that um to kind of save face and not be red baited because that was a big problem at the time so i hope that answered your question yeah the i just wanted to mention on that clip that was showed at the beginning that um i had never really seen that um but one I would like to recommend as well for people to watch is Hayao Miyazaki's uh, Grave of the Fireflies, as it kind of touches very much in detail of the Japanese experience of the last couple of months of the war. You know, it talks about a young child and his little sister and everything is destroyed, but it shows specifically American planes firebombing all of Japan and, you know, the suffering and everything that went down. This is the same guy who made Spirited Away my neighbor Totoro, and this is his like most serious movie, and it's it's quite it's quite traumatic to be honest. It's definitely a tearjerker, but I would recommend all to watch it. It's called Grave of the Fireflies. Right, thank you, comrade. And just briefly, I think it goes to show that you know there's a lot of people out there that when you talk about the atomic bombings, they go, you know, oh, that's just what Japan gets for um, the war crimes in China or for Pearl Harbor or whatever have you. Um, and even with Japan being an Axis power, nobody deserves to get nuked. Nobody deserves to get firebombed. The civilians in Japan did not deserve this. So it was a disgusting act in history. And we have to understand that we can't go, well, what about China? What about Pearl Harbor? Those are crimes in their own right. But if it was done in Berlin or Munich, it wouldn't have been any better. Um, it's... it's uh... 
uh, last time, um, uh, uh, Jake talked about this, uh, but it's uh, utterly uh, uh, disgusting how everything from the Japanese Empire um, was kept, uh, which kind of uh, it's it's kind it's kind of like it's kind of it's kind of like, like spitting in the face of everyone who contributed to uh, victory, you know, uh, keeping the uh, imperial family, uh, uh, keeping uh, the uh, Saibatsus, Uh, I mean, say, uh, it's just thank you. Right, thank you, comrade. I think I'll be able to take about one more hand before we go back to the presentation, and I can take the other ones in the next part. Hello, comrades. Um, I'm on my phone, obviously, so I'm not 100% sure uh, that it's the clip that I remember, but uh, Angelo mentioned that I think we're, I think I know what clip we uh, watched earlier. And um, Angelo mentioned that he thinks that it should be shown in high schools. So I had to chime in because I'm pretty sure I watched that clip in my high school, um, which was a Protestant Christian uh, Calvinist high school. And I just wanted to say that's kind of funny. Um, it was shown to me in Bible class and my teacher showed it to us because he wanted us to have a conversation of what sort of God would allow this to happen. <laughs> and I just wanted to mention that because that was a really hardcore Bible class and they were at least showing it in my high school class. Um, and I don't know, I guess that just rings true with me today. Um, but, you know, obviously the lesson that my teacher wanted to take away from it is that we needed to still have faith in God, even though these terrible things happen. Not very applicable to this class about Marxist Leninist studies. I've come so far, but I, I just wanted to chime in and mention that. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. And I apologize if you hear my guinea pig in the background. Uh, but yeah, I, I wanted to say it, it that's definitely interesting because when I was in school, you know, recently being Gen Z, what they basically did in class was they told us about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and then they just posited it to us as an open question. Do you think that was justified or unjustified? And they did that with a lot of things in the history of U.S. imperialism, just sort of a, we can't say anything about this. We can't say whether it's right or wrong, but you decide. And so a lot of kids would go, oh, it was necessary to invade, uh, avoid an invasion of Japan. They'd go along with the narrative. And that was usually the way that they direct you. Um, so that's definitely very interesting. So I do see the hands that are up and I'll make sure to get the ones that haven't spoke uh, in the next discussion round, but we'll go back to the presentation. The truth about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Hiroshima. On August 6, 1945, at 8.15 a.m. Hiroshima time, an enriched uranium fission bomb called Little Boy was dropped from the Enola Gay 
B-29 bomber over Hiroshima. It detonated at about 2,000 meters above the city. The intended target was the Ioe Bridge in the middle of the city, but winds caused the bomb to detonate over Shima's surgical clinic. It detonated with a force of about 16 kilotons of TNT or about 15,000 tons of TNT. One mile in all directions was completely destroyed and fire spread for about 4.6 miles. Um, keep in mind, I know we're gonna talk about Nagasaki, but one of the things that um, our people wanted to do was to test the two bombs. This was an enriched uranium. The one in Nagasaki was plutonium. They weren't sure which ones they wanted to go with, so needed to test both. And they decided on the plutonium. It's um, it's uh, it can be even made bigger than either one of these bombs. All right, 140,000 people were killed by this bomb, including in the months following the attack. And uh, John Hershey wrote the book Hiroshima. It's a booklet, but it talked about it was only about 70, 80,000 initially, but then they discovered radiation sickness. So it took a lot of people in the first uh, few months. Over 60% of the city was destroyed. Wood and paper homes were vaporized and only concrete buildings built to withstand earthquakes remained, albeit heavily damaged. And as you see the blasts compared to New York City in the middle of Manhattan and Seattle, uh, what it would correspond to. Okay. And uh, we'll go ahead and just to, you know, pay mourning to these um, bombings. We'll stop for 10 seconds for a round of silence. All right, the atomic bombs. Nagasaki on August 9th, 1945, the B-29 bomber Boxar flew to Kokura, Japan, the intended target for the bomb. Kokura, however, was clouded by clouds and smoke from a fire bombing at Yahada the previous day. These conditions saved Kokura from an atomic bombing. The second target, Nagasaki, was flown to at 11.00 a.m. Japanese time. The plutonium bomb known as, and this is the plutonium bomb, known as Fat Man, was released after a break in the clouds and detonated at 11.02 with a force of approximately 21 kilotons of TNT or 21,000 tons of TNT. Total destruction occurred for a mile in all directions and a fire spread uh, approximately two miles south. Keep in mind, Nagasaki was a little bit more enclosed than the flat plains of Hiroshima, even though it was a bigger bomb, it actually did relatively less damage. Over 80,000 people were killed in the attack and much of the valley was destroyed. Ironically, the explosion occurred over the Ukurimi Tenshudo Catholic Church, the largest Catholic cathedral in Asia. Keep in mind on August 9th in the morning before the Nagasaki bomb, uh, the Russian army invaded the Japan territory. And uh, two hours later, they bombed Nagasaki, okay? And then we'll go ahead and stop for another 10 second um, silence. 
And then we have a video just briefly. This is in color of the atomic bombing of Nagasaki, Japan. And by the way, they're going to claim that there was no ill effect to people that came in afterwards to review this. Um, it's just a lie. It's just that it's old footage. And so you're going to hear imperialists trying to create their narrative. So we'll go ahead and play this video and then we'll go forward. be seen going higher and higher and reaching into the stratosphere. Because the bomb was exploded high above the ground, the greatest part of its harmful radioactive material was dissipated in the stratosphere. As a result, the area under the explosion was relatively free from radioactivity. Persons entering Nagasaki shortly after the explosion to do rescue work sustained no ill effect or injury. Surrender. The president was uh, was in accord with that. 
Uh, Barnes said he was most anxious to get the Japanese uh, after uh, affair over with before the Russians got in, with particular reference to uh, Darren and Port Arthur. Uh, both cities combined and are now known as Luna. The Soviet Union turned uh, Darren over to the Communist Chinese Party in 1950, uh, ask, uh, asking no recompense. Once, once in there, the Soviet Union he felt it would not be easy to get them out. Uh, with all this in mind, uh, Barnes was in favor of uh, Sung's uh, return to Moscow, which he proposed to do in order to keep the conversation on this uh, subject going. Now, apparently worried that Stalin might become impatient with the continued stalling, or Sung might yield on August 5th, 1945, Truman and Barnes sent uh, further instructions to. Uh, Avril Herman uh, requesting that no agreement be made involving further concessions by China. The first day of August now took on the air of a uh, freezing, uh, 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 frenzied race for time. As Sung prepared to meet with Stalin on August 7th, the special, uh, specially trained 509th uh, composite group of the 20th Air Force uh, waiting for the weather or clear over target cities in Japan. Uh, the July 25th order to General Spatz and set the bombing for after about August 3rd. How long could the Red Army be st uh, stalled on a Manchurian border? If the weather cleared long enough for the weapons to be used against Hiroshima on August 6th, many scholars have studied these uh, papers and have found them particularly illuminating in connection with uh, Barnes' uh, strategy towards the Russians during the Potsdam Conference. Three days prior to the bombing of Hiroshima, uh, Waiter Barnes, associate of Barnes, noted, uh, abroad, the USS uh, Augusta uh, President uh, 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 Laffey, uh, JFB Barnes, agreed Japan looking for peace. President afraid they will sue for peace through Russia uh, instead of some country like Sweden. Okay. Uh, no military significance, no US-led victory. The military significance of Hiroshima and Nagasaki was very low. In Hiroshima, there was a second general army headquarters and Tsukagu Goku military police headquarters and only 70 to 20,000 troops were killed in the attack. Nagasaki had Mitsubishi factories including arms manufacturing, but only 9,000 troops were killed in the attack. Neither bombing brought about the Japanese surrender, even with atomic blackmail following Hiroshima and Nagasaki, nor did they noticeably impair what was left of the Japanese war machine. Japan was trying to figure out a way to surrender to the Soviets before uh, Hokkaido was invaded and the foundation of Japan was broken. They were losing the war and had suffered catastrophic incendiary bombing in 67 cities. 
losing two more to big bombs rather than thousands of smaller ones didn't seem to make much difference at that point. Decision to use the atomic bomb, Garo Operowitz, how some of the nation's top military leaders viewed the use of the atomic bomb. I had seen constant, I've been conscious of fitting the president so I voiced the Secretary of War and we him in my grave misgivings. First on the basis of my belief that Japan was already defeated and the dropping of the bomb was completely unnecessary. And secondly, because I thought that our country should avoid shocking world opinion by the use of a weapon. His employment, I thought, no longer mandatory as a measure to save American lives. Dwight D. Eisenhower, General United States Army. The use of this barbarous weapon at Hiroshima and Nagasaki was of no material assistance in our war against Japan. And being the first to use it, we have adopted an ethical standard common to the barbarians of dark ages. I was not taught to make war in that fashion, and wars cannot be won by destroying women and children. William D. Leahy, Lead Admiral, United States Navy, Chief of Staff to President Truman. It always appeared to us that atomic bomb or no atomic bomb, the Japanese were already on the verge of collapse. Henry H. Arnold, Commanding General, United States Army Air Forces. All right. And with that, we'll go ahead and stop for our second round of questions and comments. And for any new members' introductions that we might have. Yeah. Um, I just kind of wanted to second um what you said earlier about how when I was in junior high school, we did not learn anything like remotely close to this. We also had an like open discussion about was it justified to use the bomb? And you know, we were genuinely allowed to discuss it. Um, but they set it up as like the facts of the situation are, well, we accidentally killed a bunch of civilians. Um but like we had to do it to save the American lives. Um, no talk at all about how we've been firebombing the rest of Japan, killing tons of civilians. No talk about how it's like a war crime and kind of bad to kill civilians. Uh, and absolutely no talk about how Japan was literally like collapsing, like the USSR was about to invade and they would have like definitely surrendered anyway. Our own generals are like, this was totally unjustified. Absolutely no mention, which I think makes it like more effective propaganda because we like think we know like, oh, so, you know, it was justified to use it and we come to our own conclusions, but completely omitting like, you know, the open secrets of how this was just, um, yeah, totally unjustified. Thank you, comrade. I'd also like to add that uh, the most uh, important um, uh, uh, facilities uh, for a country's war machine tends not to be in the big cities. Uh, the countryside tends, uh, tends, uh, tends to be uh, one of the most important for uh, making All right. Thank you, comrade. Uh, yeah, just to kind of um, second you on some of the radiation. Stuff. Like I, whenever I was in X-ray school, you know, we talked about that type of stuff. Um, and that's the reason why I initially got interested in some of that stuff. I'd seen that um, that whole entire anime that we played at the beginning, but that was one thing that was kind of known. We had researchers on the ground, like almost immediately. We it, like, and if you like read some of the history, I wish I could find the sources now. 
but I remember like reading some of the sources about how researchers, like American researchers, almost giddy to basically get in and study the effects of the radiation bombing that happened. So pretending like we did that benevolently to not cause any type of radiation effects is just ludicrous. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. And there was just very little military significance. I remember when I was researching for this class and looking stuff up, uh, they would always emphasize the second general army headquarters or the Mitsubishi factories or the Hiroshima and Nagasaki were these integral ports, even though it really didn't touch the port areas of the city. And you can just poke holes right through it, even when they try to show the military significance that was there. Japan was looking for a way to surrender, as it were. Um, so it was it was to test those weapons out. And I mean, as we saw in the thing, um, Leslie Groves commissioned a, a assessment report after it to see how, what it had done in that area. And I mean, that's just as bad as some of the um, things that Nazi Germany and Japan did when they were making their uh, invasions of China and Europe. Um, so thank you, comrade. Yeah. Uh, earlier, one of the comrades had mentioned that Taya Miyazaki's film, Grave of the Fireflies. And uh, just a quick thing. I believe that Taya Miyazaki was a member of the Japanese Communist Party in like the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but also that being said, <clears throat> um, the other thing is like, you know, I think I remember coming across when I was researching this uh, General Douglas MacArthur. Actually, I think he wrote a letter to President Truman indicating that the 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 Japanese would have surrendered anyways. Were there any other classified documents that you know of that um, indicated that the U.S. and like members of the military knew that the that the Japanese were going to surrender um, because of the Soviet invasion of Manchuria? And that dropping the bomb was completely unnecessary for the surrender. Sure. Yeah. I can add just a couple of things. Uh, Truman knew about it July 17th, uh, at least two or three weeks, that the emperor wanted to surrender. The whole point during these few months, May through July, was that um, Japan really wanted to protect the emperor. And that they were working very hard, the, uh, were trying to get word through Russia, because they felt that Russia could be a mediator. As long as Russia had not declared war on Japan, they considered Russia a possible mediator, obviously. After uh, Russia did declare war on August 9th or August 8th, um, they knew that they had no help or no uh, hope of that. But Truman and company knew on the 17th, that's why they were stalling um, um, Stalin. Trinity, I think, was July 16th, if I'm not mistaken. July 17th was the Potsdam Conference. And Truman had been stalling that conference, attending it. Uh, everyone, Churchill and Stalin, wanted to have that conference in June. And he says, no, the soonest I can do it is July 17th. Why? Because Trinity was scheduled for July 16th and he wanted to know the success or failure of that before he talked to um, uh, Truman, to uh, Stalin and company. So they went in, he did tell Stalin that they're working on the bomb and, and Stalin says, oh, well, that's great. 
And, uh, you know, he, he was nonplussed because, of course, he knew about it already. So, yes, there were a lot of people that knew. Sorry, I have to get rid of that. Um, and uh, there's even other stuff, but I'll just let, you know, go with that. There was a reason why <clears throat> they waited until the 17th to meet in Potsdam. And uh, there was also a reason why they kept installing Stalin. If you notice, Stalin was to meet uh, uh, with um, Japan on the 7th of August, but they got the August 6th uh, bomb um, released. So they didn't have to do it. It's so all stalling techniques for at least a good month. All right. Thank you, comrade. Okay. I just wanted to draw a parallel between the situation in Germany, 1945, and the situation in Japan. You know, we didn't see an atomic bombing of Germany, but we saw massive allied air raids, you know, that Western allied air raids, I should clarify. Um, Germany was in the exact same position. You know, but we know that, you know, the United States was not going to nuke, uh, drop an atomic bomb on Germany. You know, they were in the same position. The Soviets were rapidly approaching Berlin and the American allies and uh, UK. They were also basically right there. You know, they would have got to it either way. And then all of these kind of were superficial, just as like a ultimate show of force. And the same exact thing with Japan. It was said, I don't remember where I read it, but. It was supposed to be a million Soviet troops were going to enter Manchuria. Yes, right. And that would have uh, that would have turned the tide immensely. There would have been no way for them to to even counter that. You know, they would have had to commit a serious amount of uh, logistical support there. You know, it would have. It's all superficial, and you know, this is just. There's a speech in 1994 from Nelson Mandela where he says this explicitly. This was to show the Soviet Union. Look at what we have and what you don't have. That's all. Thank you, comrade. And I also just wanted to add, you know, following up on that, that Operation Downfall and the Soviet invasion of Japan, there were going to be over a million troops committed on each side. And Japan knew they were losing the war and were ready to surrender. And any invasion of the main two J Japanese islands was going to be just as much of a violation of the Japanese um culture and religion as taking out the emperor and so you know there's all these narratives about how many men would have died in that invasion but you ask yourself how long the japanese would have lasted before surrendering if these two countries were invading it from both sides because this would have been an invasion that would have been even more equivalent on both sides than germany because as the comrade just said um they did a lot of air bombings in germany and then basically tailed the Soviets in. The Soviets went in first, and then the Western powers were like, all right, we'll go in from the you know, West. So uh, thank you, comrade, for that. Uh, I think given the magnitude of uh, the scope uh, uh, and uh, uh, realities of uh, uh, American imperialism after the Second World War, and uh, like Mussolini attacking Ethiopia and using uh, chemical weapons on a civilian uh, at the Sababa, the capital city. Uh, I wonder if there are studies, uh, comparative studies showing that uh, if the United States is any better than uh, uh, Hitler's Germany and uh, Mussolini, Italia's Mussolini, I think this country is more criminal than, uh, uh, than Germany and uh, fascist Italy. And we, what is very surprising is that uh, we still believe we are a democratic nation with 
they joined the army, civilians, ordinary people going and killing their own brothers, uh, class brothers and sisters all over the planet. And uh, it is more disgusting. The politicians, you can understand, these are satanic people. But the ordinary people who join the army and uh, blow up villages and towns and bridges, that is totally disgusting. And it's not going to look good uh, for future generations in uh, in our international relations. It's really, it's very, very disgusting. Mm-hmm. Thank you, comrade. And I'll just briefly respond as well that, you know, we are an imperialist country. And so... And we are one that seeks full spectrum dominance. The means that we use to do that are um, extraordinary. I mean, the weapons that had never been used in history were created by us to facilitate our empire, kind of, and and scare the world into, um, you know, basically being subservient under threat of nuclear annihilation. So that's definitely equal to some of the things that fascists did. And any, oppressive system can be at more you know more or less um deadly at sometimes more than others if that makes sense um so sometimes imperialism can be more deadly than fascism it just depends on who's doing it in the time and history yeah so um if any of y'all want some further research on this i highly recommend um an interview by Daniel Ellsberg, the guy who I think either leaked or helped publish the Pentagon Papers. Daniel Ellsberg did an interview on a podcast called Reality Asserts Itself. And um, he was actually in the national security community um, kind of, I think, immediately after World War II and especially like the early Cold War. And he talks about um, just how like psychotic our planners were and like how like Um, even after this, like we were doing things, wanting to use nukes and we knew there was like, you know, this isn't like militarily justified. We just want to like project our power around the globe, uh, talks about stuff like how Germany, uh, stopped developing the bomb partially because scientists thought there was like a one in five chance that the whole atmosphere would like catch on fire. Like the whole world would just explode. And the United States knew this and it was just like, yeah, we'll take that risk. Um, and, you know, all the, of course, all the generals that wanted to use nukes in Vietnam and even against the Soviet Union, even if it meant mutually assured destruction, if it just meant that we would like technically win the Cold War. Um, it's super interesting and super in-depth. So y'all should check it out. Thank you, comrade. And before we go to our presentation, just one you know, more fact I'd like to provide is that you know, we started developing thermonuclear weapons in the 19, late 1940s into the 1950s that we measure not in kilotons, which is thousands of uh, tons of TNT, which is still a ton. It's not a pound, it's a ton. Um, they, we started m- measuring them in megatons, which is basically uh, millions of tons of TNT. And I think it's estimated that anything that gets, you know, well above uh, 50 megatons, which the Tsar Bomba, the largest nuclear bomb in history developed by the Soviet Union, was still about 50 megatons of TNT. Um, anything that goes above that actually does have a greater scientific risk of igniting the atmosphere. It's still something that could happen. It's just at that point in time, they thought that that was even a possibility with the nukes that they had. And they found out that it wasn't. But it is still a 
physical possibility. Um, so we'll go ahead and do the last section and then we'll have our last round of questions and comments. So the third part is on atomic aftermath and the present day nuclear threat. Atomic aftermath in the present, sorry, I lost it. Soviet victory in World War II. Soviet invasion forced Japanese surrender. As agreed to multiple times dating back to 1943, the Soviets declared war on Japan on August 7, 1945. And on August 9, 1945, the Kingen Mukden Harbin Kirin and Sungurai offensive operations began in Manchuria. On August 11, 1945, the Sakhalin Islands were invaded. On August 13, Korea was invaded. On August 18, the Kuril Islands were invaded. On September 2, 1945, Japan surrendered. The Japanese leadership already afraid of a Soviet attack because A, the Japanese forces were all mostly south, focused south to deal with the other allies, and little was left in the north to defend against a Soviet invasion since they never had to. B, the Soviet invasion was feared to be particularly brutal, seeing what they had done to defeat Nazi Germany in the west. C, a Soviet invasion of Hokkaido would have broken the foundation of, the ja of Japan, according to the Japanese. D, the Soviets were part of the Allies and could not be a mediator for surrender. Dawn of the Atomic Age, how the atomic bombings changed the world. Trinity, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki were shots heard around the world. The United States had invented and used a new type of weapon entirely, a weapon that could destroy whole cities or whole bases. They built it, tested it, used it on civilian centers, and created a narrative that it ended the deadliest war in human history, and now was the only nation in possession of a nuclear weapon. The United States had atomic monopoly and therefore held significantly larger power on the world stage. Luckily, atomic scientists did not recognize the needs of the post-war world, and information from the Manhattan Project was successfully relayed to Soviet scientists who were already engaged in their nuclear program. In 1948, American atomic monopoly was shattered when the Soviets successfully tested RDS-1 a plutonium bomb with a force of 21 kilotons of TNT, like that used at Nagasaki, at a site in the Kazakh SSR. This created mutually assured destruction, and though the world has lived in fear of nuclear war between the U.S. and USSR, or Russia and China, the lack of atomic monopoly has ensured that no nuclear weapon was used on another nation since 1945, Nagas Nagasaki is still the last atomic bombing in war. Japan and Korea after the war, America's imperial satellites. After the war, Japan was occupied by the US until 1952 with the Treaty of San Francisco, South Korea until 1948, and many such islands as Iwo Jima, Akinwa, and other islands in the Ryokyu 
chain were occupied into the 60s and 70s. This is similar to what happened in Germany, Austria and Italy and Europe. Japan and South Korea are now major non-NATO allies of the US. The 1952 Treaty of San Francisco was opposed by the Soviet Union for a number of reasons. The proceedings excluded China, the main victim of the war in the Pacific. The treaty didn't provide guarantees against the rise of Japanese militarism again. The Soviets were left out of the consultations on the treaty. The treaty turned Japan into a Western military base and violated the Yalta Agreement on the Sakhalin and Kuril Islands. The USSR didn't end their war with Japan formally until 1956. Korea would become an entire conflict of its own as the American-backed fascist nation of the Republic of Korea and the USSR-China-backed socialist nation of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea coming into being in 1948 and going to war with each other in 1950. Present-day nuclear threat, an urgent need to stop nuclear war. Humanity is very lucky to have not seen an offensive nuclear attack since Nagasaki. We've seen the world come to the brink of nuclear warfare in 1962 with the international missile crisis. We've seen a lot of nuclear close calls and nuclear blackmail, but we've never used the bomb on each other since 1945. Today, the situation is deteriorating and the United States and NATO are becoming recklessly close to a third world war with Russia and China. The United States has nuclear weapons in Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, Italy, and Turkey. The Russian Federation has nuclear weapons in Belarus. Recently, Russia suspended participation in all, all nuclear arms treaties by February 2023 and Putin claimed U.S. officials were considering restarting American nuclear tests, which they had been, according to multiple U.S. outlets, as far back as 2019. With depleted uranium rounds being used in the war in Ukraine, suggestions of providing nuclear weapons to Ukraine, the imminent situation with Taiwan, and the U.S. possibly looking to restart nuclear testing, the threat of nuclear war is the closest it has been since 1962. This combined with fascism and militarism arising again makes the work of an anti-imperialism and anti-fascism the most important task of every person. And the ultra-left and liberal efforts to divide the anti-imperialist movement so criminally disgusting. The ultra-left is objectively aiding Western imperialism. We say stop nuclear war and stop NATO. All right. And then I have one video to play briefly uh, before our last round of questions and comments, uh, which is a nuclear war simulation. And this video I didn't put in here because it was accurate or because it you know, can hypothesize and magically predict what's going to happen. It may not happen this way, but this is meant to show us the destruction of nuclear war and why we want to take steps to avoid this. According to a survey prepared by the FAS and NRDC, there are approximately 23,000, 
300 nuclear weapons in the world stored at some 111 sites in 14 countries. Stage exchange of strikes. After it started, and as the nuclear threshold is crossed, the fighting escalates into a tactical nuclear war in Europe. Russia sends 300 nuclear warheads using aircraft and short-range missiles to hit NATO bases and advancing troops. NATO responds with about 180 nuclear warheads from aircraft. Casualties 2.6 million When Europe is destroyed, NATO launches a strategic nuclear strike of 600 warheads of U.S. land and submarine missiles aimed at Russian nuclear forces. Before it loses its weapon systems, Russia fires warning shots, responding with missiles launched from launchers, vehicles, and submarines. The main purpose of nuclear strike is not to kill as many people as possible but to destroy the very possibility of a retaliatory or second strike. All means of application have priority targets. These are primarily missile launch silos, military installations, large cities, large industrial plants, dams. If the power industry, the military, the government, if the power generation and transmission facilities are destroyed, the state will be destroyed irreversibly. In order to prevent reconstruction of the other side, Russia and NATO are striking at 30 of the most populated cities and economic centers of each other, using 5 to 10 warheads in each city, depending on the size of the population. As a result of the nuclear exchange, the number of direct casualties, including deaths, 34.1 million, and injuries, 57.4 million, from the series of nuclear exchanges. Stage 2 Nuclear Fallout the horror of radioactive fallout lies in its ability to spread radiation over a wide area, affecting people, animals, and the environment. Exposure to high levels of radiation can cause acute radiation sickness, which can lead to symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and fatigue. In severe cases, radiation sickness can be fatal. 27 million more people will die. Stage 3 Nuclear Winter and Famine the biosphere received such a blow that it is unlikely to recover and return to its original state. The ecosystem of the equatorial zone, which is tuned to almost constant temperatures, will be particularly affected. There, even if forests are not burned, higher forms of life will disappear, apparently, completely or almost completely. According to scientists, about 5 billion people in two years may die as a result of a nuclear war between the U.S. and Russia, which confirms the need for global cooperation to prevent it. Let's say no to any war, and it is better to create something new than to destroy ourselves. All right, and with that, we'll go ahead and stop for our last round of questions and comments. Uh, for about uh, eight minutes, and then we'll wrap up for tonight. Um, I just was wondering, and this is due in part because I had recently watched Oppenheimer, is it framed that we were in some sort of race against Nazi Germany to develop a nuclear bomb first. Um, 
And I want to know if anybody knows anything about the truth to that or what Nazi Germany's nuclear program looked like. Um, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean we had to drop the bombs on Hiroshima or Nagasaki, but, you know, that's the significance of Nazi Germany developing one was, would have been a significant factor. I'm just curious if anybody knows something. I think somebody mentioned something earlier. I was wondering if anybody wanted to elaborate. Yeah. So as I said in the, um, first section uh it was german scientists otto hahn and fritz straussman that first bombarded the um i forget i think it was a uranium atom with neutrons enough to split it and that was all that was done was an atom was split but the implication that was discovered by a lot of scientists around the world but first by leo zillard from that was that it could result and a nuclear chain reaction. And of course, the German scientists figured that out too. And they were in Nazi Germany, and they let their leaders know about, uh, of course, the testing that they were doing. And basically, at that point, uh, Nazis being Nazis, they realized, oh, this could be an incredibly big weapon, a wonder weapon we could go ahead and make, and we could drop it on whatever city we need to, uh, Stalingrad, Paris, Berlin, or not Berlin, uh, the London, whichever one they wanted to. Um, and they had developed nuclear weapons up until 1942. Then, like we said, they uh, stopped that to develop V1 and V2 rocketry. But because that was known, um, and because basically everybody made the implication and the realization um, after uh, the uranium atom was split that there could be nuclear chain reaction, a lot of people went uh, both to uh, the Soviet Union and to the United States saying, start production of a nuclear weapon. You need to have this before the Germans have it. They need like if if Germ if Germany had atomic monopoly, um, the world could have been just nuked. Yeah, there's no telling what Nazis would have done with nuclear weapons. And the world knew that. And the United States was no um innocent person we had obviously done horrific things in the philippines and central america in years prior but we were miles ahead of um nazi germany and so at the time it was thought well if the united states makes this it's not going to be as bad as if fascists develop the atomic bomb and um to an extent it wasn't because we only bombed two cities rather than who knows how many but um it still showed us that imperialists with the bomb um could be almost just as disgusting so i hope that answered your question um yeah i know that um einstein oppenheimer and several other scientists who'd been involved with the creation of the bomb and nuclear physics um many of them communists um started the bulletin of the atomic scientist after world war ii and they have their doomsday clock and they write a lot of articles. I just want to know what our party's analysis is of that institution today. I can just give some context when it comes to the atomic uh, bulletin. Um, right now, the doomsday clock, what they use to measure how close we are to a total nuclear war, is actually at the closest it's ever been. 
at 90 seconds to midnight. It, it used to not get past 100 seconds to midnight. Now we're at 90 seconds to midnight. Um, unfortunately, it seems like when I was researching this class, a lot of their analysis comes down to the world's getting closer to nuclear war because Putin is a brinksman and not pulling in the extra additional context of why Putin might be withdrawing from nuclear treaties and whatnot and what the United States is doing that would play into that. Um, it's a piece of information and it's like everything else. Um, it's compromised. Uh, we have been talking about uh, testing since 2019, begin testing since 2019. So yeah, it's brinkmanship, um, but by everyone. So, you know, it's it's a nice factoid, but there has to be real analysis and not just pointing the finger at one person. So yeah, interesting, but a factoid. Yeah, thank you, comrade. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that it was um, many organizations, the communists were involved with help, helping is the key word, helping to start. National Lawyers Guild, for example, uh, is a big time. Uh, and the Bulletin and the Atomic Scientists also. It was never a communist formation, never. Uh, many pacifists were involved with the, uh, with the magazine and the organization. And uh, Karen is correct, like a lot of other things, there's pros and cons with the organization. Uh, and that's all I wanted to say about them. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrades. Yes, I was thinking about they mentioned that they were playing like 1.2 million troops for an invasion of Japan. Like I heard like uh, that argues against like Truman claiming that 100, uh, I mean, 1.2 uh, million troops uh, that uh, Truman claimed that a million troops would have died in an invasion. Like it seems very strange, unlikely that five, six of an invasion force would be killed. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, what was the name of that podcast that uh, Daniel Ellsberg had uh, interview on? Reality asserts itself, or was it? Yeah, you were right. It's uh, reality asserts itself. And if you just search like Daniel Ellsberg, reality asserts itself on YouTube. You can find like the whole thing in a playlist. And uh, yeah. Thanks. All right. Thank you, comrades. Yeah, I wanted to touch on something that was brought up in the presentation, but to expand upon it further, um, it was Coulter's question that he had asked about, you know, what was Germany's role and, you know, what would they have done, everything like this. Well, Germany created what we now know as rockets and missiles. So you could imagine how that could have went a lot differently had they continued with their nuclear program. Like, the American nuclear bombs had to be dropped from a plane, like bomber style. But Germany was, they created missiles and rockets, and they were hell-bent on using them against London, Paris, and Moscow. So it could have been a whole lot worse. You know, thankfully, uh, Germany, you know, led by Hitler, they, they had to, you know, they had to reroute their resources to other things at the time due to the Soviets closing in closer and closer to German territory. So we can thank the Soviets for preventing the Nazis in terms of getting like the first ICBMs 20, 30 years before the U.S. even had the technology to create such machines. Yeah. So we again, we have to thank the Soviets. That's all. Thank you, comrade. And it, it's just interesting to me. It's kind of a, a 
chain link, almost like a chain reaction of who we should thank for what, you know, thanking the Americans first for making sure we get ahead of uh, the Nazis and make sure that we have this weapon rather, rather than Nazi Germany, but then thanking the Soviet Union once again after that for having, you know, put forth the effort to create an atomic bomb. And I mean, you know, pardon my French, but American imperialists all shit themselves in 1948 when they saw the Soviet <laughs> Union actually attest an atomic bomb and their atomic monopoly was shattered. Everything that they had based their empire on at that point, this atomic blackmail of any country in the world saying we could just drop it on you, it was shattered. And while it led to, you know, decades and decades of us being uh, under the threat of nuclear war and a lot of nuclear close calls, it did result in the nuclear bomb never actually being used again um, on other people. A mutually assured destruction is better than um, unilaterally assured Black destruction. Yeah. 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 A couple of factoids that we couldn't get to uh, last time. Um, as you mentioned, we about as soon as Japan surrendered, I mean, my God, we were we had our boats in the harbor and ready to jump in and take over. And of course, General MacArthur, uh, you know, had his headquarters there. And it was funny because you are right; the whole place swarmed with scientists, non-scientists, technicians, and they because her Hiroshima was perfect because it had been. Uh, okay, it had not been bombed, so they really could study the effects. So you had boatloads of scientists in there, and plus the Japanese scientists themselves, right there with their facilities, they were checking it out too. So it was funny, General MacArthur, he censored all mention of the bomb in Japanese scientific publications. But soon the fruit of the scientists' calculations became common knowledge about uh, Japanese physicists, doctors, chemists, because they were treating everybody, uh, journalists, professors, and no doubt those statesmen and military men who were still in circulation. Long before the American public had been told, most of the scientists and lots of non-scientists in Japan knew from the calculations of Japanese nuclear physicists that a uranium bomb had exploded at Hiroshima and a more powerful one, plutonium, at Nagasaki. So before 45 was out, I mean, November 45, December 45, everyone knew in Japan exactly what had gone on. And they had, you know, they had been working on the ground level since August of 1945. I just find that interesting in light of the fact that everybody was saying that our spies gave Soviet the bomb, which of course is just so much malarkey. That's all. Thank you, comrade. And one thing I wanna say real quick before we go to our wrap up is that any nation on the planet with enough resources and enough scientists could have developed this bomb and still can. That's why you have, mm -hmm. I, I think today, the countries that have possession of an atomic bomb are the United States, the Russian Federation, France, China, the United Kingdom, Israel, Pakistan, India, and the DPRK. And so that's a lot of that's a lot of countries. That's a lot of you know places that didn't have as much funds as the others and still managed to make nuclear weapons. So it's it. To think there are some people out there, pacifists or whatever, that think that 
you could have just always kept this cat in the bag or proliferating them at all is wrong and it's it was going to be done by somebody and it always can be um so we either need to make a collective worldwide decision to not make them or uh, we need to just accept the fact that many nations around the world are going to proliferate nuclear weapons if not for self-defense then maybe for other purposes as well um one other uh, thing, talking about bringing it back to current events, um, if I'm not mistaken, anybody can uh, correct me, but I think Niger has stopped exporting all of their uranium. And this is going to be very interesting. That's why we've got to watch what's going on, because uh, now they're because that's where France got, has most gets most of its uranium and where, of course, the UK and America gets it, and they're not going to get any, not until they pay the price. So this will be very interesting. Yes, and interestingly, France is actually has third place for the amount of nukes by country. China's actually after France. Interesting hmm. little fact there. Um, but we need to go ahead and wrap up now. So thank you, comrades, for all of your uh, insightful comments and questions for tonight. I think it was a really good class. Uh, Comrade General Secretary, is there anything that you'd like to say? Yeah, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. Um, Ukrainians, communists are under the gun. We have to support them. Who's going to support them? Ukrainian fascist government? The United States government? No, it has to be us. So please be an eye on, find any way you can to help these these young boys um, who have devoted their life to um, the history of, of the Ukraine and Soviet Ukraine and the working class in the Ukraine, um, number one. Number two, um, if you like what you heard tonight, if you think it's worth it, you gotta support it. Otherwise it's gonna go off and we're not gonna have the school. So you people who are sitting back some of you, and we're not giving anything. Come on, put your hands in your pocket and take out a couple of pennies, a couple of dollars, and give it to the, to the defense fund. Um, we never asked anybody for any money, but now that we're under attack, we have to defend ourselves. And uh, with that, I wanna thank everybody for coming. Thank you. <laughs>